Therefore, today, I'm announcing the House of Representatives moving forward with an official impeachment inquiry. I'm directing our six committees to proceed with their investigations under that. So by starting the impeachment process, are the Democrats actually setting themselves up for failure in 2020? I think we don't know yet. (laughs) I I am amazed at the certainty with which people are walking into this, uh, this situation. The president must be held accountable. No one is above the law. I'm Jason Dick. This is Political Theater. I'm joined this week by Nathan Gonzalez. He's CQ Roll Call's elections analyst and the publisher of Inside Elections. Nathan, thanks for being here. Anytime for you, Jason. So let's get right down to it. The House has uh, announced that they are beginning their formal impeachment proceedings. Nancy Pelosi has, uh, you know, went on television. Uh, backdrop of American flags, as serious as you can get, and said, a lot of flags, lot, which means it's very serious. It's so many flags. And the you know and and said what a lot of people think has already been happening, which is that House Democrats are investigating the president and they are proceeding in some sort of impeachment-ish type direction. Uh, but regardless of the actual process, you know she said it. We're in an impeachment pro- you know process now. The automatically people started thinking, okay, here's here's what happens during impeachment. Uh, that you know you the Democrats would impeach, the Senate would acquit. And, you know, it would be disastrous for Democrats. And let, just to clarify, like the House votes to impeach or not, that, that basically means very little in, in terms of like the president's actual duties. The Senate, then there's a trial in the Senate that's presided over by the Chief Justice of the United States. And then the Senate votes whether to remove the president from office or acquit if it gets that far. Uh, the, the, the example that you use is 1998. Let's talk about what happened in 1998. Well, in 1998, uh, Republicans had proceeded with impeachment proceedings against President Bill Clinton, uh, and they lost five seats in the 1998 midterm elections. Actually, before they got to the kind of official, the House got to the official impeachment uh, part. And that is what is assumed will happen this time, that there will be a backlash against uh, Democrats in this case for pursuing it because there was a backlash against Republicans for pursuing the impeachment of, of President Clinton. And I just keep coming back in my mind to a, a quote from The Last Jedi and an, an elder Luke Skywalker's advice to Ray. This is not going to go the way you think. Because it, it, it's, it's remarkable. That we have, it's such a small sample size. We're talking about one instance. And so to uh, extrapolate, it could happen the same way again. It just, every, there are lots of different people, moving parts. One thing that I, uh, what the, arguably what the Republicans went after President Clinton for was more personal in nature. They officially got him Sex. on, <laughs> they officially got him on obstruction of justice and perjury, but it's really a personal scandal. What Democrats are going after President Trump for, allegedly abuse of power, uh, in, uh, foreign interference, uh, soliciting foreign interference in an election. And I think voters in the middle might think of those two things differently. They also, I mean, just the political circumstances of where how we have gotten to this point are quite different than in the 1990s. President Clinton uh, had been reelected. He had, he had not gotten a majority of the popular vote, but he had won a plurality. Donald Trump did not win a a plurality of the vote in in 2016. His uh, approval ratings have always hovered around anywhere from 35 to 45 percent. We're kind of in the 40-ish 
you know, uh, area right now. The, you know, the Republicans controlled both chambers of Congress uh, at, at that point in 1998 and had since 1994. And the, I, it's interesting, I feel like the, the effect on Gingrich especially may be overstated at times because what it overlooks is that Gingrich was an immensely unpopular politician himself before we got to impeachment. Uh, he had already survived a coup uh, that was led by his his Republican colleagues. Uh, he was skating on thin ice uh, in, in in general uh, as, as a leader and as a leader of the country and also as a leader of the Republican Party. And like not to be you know overemphasize it, but the Republicans may have lost seats, but they didn't lose the majority, and they didn't lose the majority in the Senate either. Uh, and, Status and, quo, no change in the right. Senate, five seats in the House. Which if we just if we say that what's going to happen again, five seats would leave Republicans 14 seats short of a majority uh, in 2020. And uh, you know, again, I, I try to be open-minded about what could happen. It's just that President Trump is is just a unique figure. People don't need to listen to this podcast to tell us to tell well, no, them they that do. they need to listen. To this <laughs> well, to tell them that President Trump is a unique <laughs> a unique figure. Keep saying that they need to listen to this podcast, Nathan. <laughs> it, uh, it because you know the base is going to be with. The president, no matter what. Right. The Democrats are going to be against the president, basically, no matter what. But for those voters in the middle that are balancing a lot of things, this could be this could be different. So one of the sort of narratives that took hold is that the the speaker Nancy Pelosi didn't really want to push this until she felt more of the country uh, was behind an impeachment push, that there was more bipartisan support for it, and you know polling has been somewhat consistent that roughly a third of the country supports impeachment. Most of all that polling was done certainly before these latest revelations, uh, revelations, pardon me, about Ukraine, where the president, you know, basically said, yes, I was talking to Ukraine. Yes, I held up military aid. Uh, and yes, I asked them to uh, investigate Joe Biden and his son Hunter and their involvement in, in whether there was corruption there. And so we, we have yet to see some of that take hold in public polling. But it, does, does the speaker, did she have a, yeah, a good point there that we should be waiting for the public? Well, I think she was waiting for the public, but also waiting for her most vulnerable members who represent districts uh, that President Trump carried in 2016. And I think she was, as a, uh, she's a talented speaker and was trying to protect them politically. And when they came out in the Washington Post op-ed and, and they're clearly comfortable at least proceeding, you know, who knows if it gets to final votes, what, what they'll end up doing, but they're clearly comfortable with it. And I think she saw that uh, as a green light, and it's but it's remarkable. I I guess I was skeptical that we'd get this far, but the 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 president's conversation uh, regarding Ukraine was clearly uh, a game breaker. But what I think the polling there's so much confidence on the Republican side about polling being on their side. Their side meaning the Republican side when most of the polling is pre-Ukraine, <laughs> and it may not change. I mean, we've found in polling that it's been remarkably static when it comes to the president and his job approval rating. But I think it's okay to take a deep breath and wait to see if indeed this changes public opinion, even slightly, even for those voters in the middle. Uh, that That is important enough, if, even if it doesn't affect the basis. Um, let's say that the, the House does narrowly impeach the president. The, then they, the you know, the, the House would basically argue their case uh, to the Senate in a trial. Uh, it would be somewhat, you know, dramatic as it was in 1998. And l let's just take a wild guess that the Senate would not uh, vote to a, uh, a 
remove the president of the United States. It would take 67 votes. That's a very high bar. They can barely get appropriations bills, uh, you know, passed in this point with 60 votes or 51 votes. So, but, you know, you, you, you've written and, and talked about this, that there, you know, this isn't necessarily a loser for Democrats either, because why? Because it could still shine a light on some vulnerable Republican senators, particularly those who are up for re-election in 2020. I mean, Cory Gardner of Colorado and Susan Collins of Maine are up for re-election. They're the only two Republican senators up in states that Hillary Clinton carried, and they're trying to walk that line between having the Republican base and by being a, an ally of President Trump, but also trying to show independence from Trump. And they cannot win their respective races by just getting the Republican base. They have to appeal to some moderates. And that's where what moderates think about this, these proceedings is is important. So even if it can get through the House and force Republican senators to really take an official stand, then it could be a, a winner for a political winner for Democrats. Well, and, and I should say that you, your, your ratings at Inside Elections have not pushed um, some of the other fringe um, races to the toss-up column yet, but I'm thinking like in my home state of Arizona, Martha McSally is up. Uh, she lost last year to Kirsten Cinema, and then was appointed to the seat, and she's running for uh, you know the the serve the rest of the term there. And then uh, in North Carolina, Tom Tillis uh, he he won, but somewhat narrowly in in 2014. And North Carolina is a swing state. It seems it changes a lot, like Arizona. We don't know sometimes what exactly the electorate is going to be because so many people move there. Um, is there a chance that that could get swept up in this too? Sure. I mean, North Carolina, the race is usually decided by a couple of points. And when it's that close, everything starts to matter. Uh, but I, I don't think you know, as we as we started this part where it's we haven't seen the defections on the Republican side that would be necessary for a full removal. And what I think is remarkable is that the Democrats are were when Speaker Pelosi made her announcement, they were up in arms saying, how can you do this without even seeing the transcript of the call, or or how can you do this without knowing what happened? And I'm thinking, how do you know that something didn't happen? These Republicans don't know anything more than what the Democrats uh, know either, but they're so certain it's because people have already made up their mind about where they stand on this issue based on whether it's for or against the president, and the, the details of the issue are, are really lost. And do you think that there are enough of those persuadable people out there who do somehow have an open mind, you know, like uh, in, in politics right now, it feels very polarized, but there are people who uh, say don't have our kind of approach to politics where it's their lives uh, and, and they're so involved. I mean, are, are there enough people that this is truly up in the air or do you think that this is sort of more of an advantage towards the Democrats, at least, you know, politically right now? Over, overall, small, a very small number of people have not, have, have an open mind or haven't already made up their mind where they stand on the president. But there are enough people in key states. I mean, Michigan was less than, the president won by less than half of 1%. We talked North Carolina is going to be close again. I think Arizona is going to be close. In Wisconsin, probably going to be close, even if Republicans have a slight advantage. And, and in those races, it takes us just a small number of people to make a difference. Well, we're going to leave it there, Nathan. Thank you very much for, for sharing your thoughts. I, I love sort of delving into these issues with you because, like, I, I appreciate sort of the counterintuitive take for sure. You know, again, it's 
history can repeat itself, but there are no two elections are alike. There's always different factors going on. So we'll see. As as our uh, as our colleague Stu Rothenberg is is wont to say, past performance is not a predictor of future performance. It can help, but not always the only thing going on. Good investment advice too. Uh, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> All right, that's it for Political Theater this week. If you're a new listener, don't forget to subscribe. If you're an old listener, uh, please take a moment to rate us. Tell a friend to listen to this show. And with that, we'll see you next time.